Alrighty, everybody. On the authority of the Holy Word. Let's sing that one. Can y'all stand up with me? <laughs> Welcome if you're joining us over the internet. You're going to have to tap your toes from afar. Let me find my sheet music here. Do I have it? On the authority. Alright, we have, we have all the authority that we need to stand on our Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> in Him. So many years I've cried because my soul denied that he would save a wretch like me so full of gloom and dread that i hung my head i wouldn't claim the victory then one day his love like a winged dove settled down upon my life and i realized it authorized my ticket I'm a blood-bought child of the living God Who is the great I Am I'm an heir to all that heaven holds And no prince of palatine Can ever take away my royal crown Given on His authority It's a mystery set me right beside his throne why he guarantees with the sealed decree my inheritance by right i'm his favorite child and that makes me smile i'm the sinner of his delight shout about that's good all right y'all you uh, brother bill do you want him to st stay standing all right i'll, I'll let y'all stay standing for a minute
Good to see all of you today. Lynn, I'm going to get you to come up here. But Turner, could you take this? Oh, let's do that There's a Joy again. Were you here this morning when they sang There's a Joy? I, I think maybe you might have missed that. They learned it. So let's put the lyrics back up there again, Ken. There's a joy. I think same key. We'll try. We'll try. Y'all sing it with us. Ready? There's a joy that comes from serving the Lord. There's a joy that comes doing His word. There's a deep down wonderful joy just from up above. There's a peace that comes from doing His will. There's a peace that comes, but I can be still. There's a deep down wonderful joy. Just to know my Lord Singing now Who cares what the world may say Who cares they can take it away Who cares how Satan may try I know for me Christ will crucify But you trust in him And you will find joy Take him at his word And you will rejoice There's a deep down wonderful joy Just to know my Lord Chorus again, ready? Help us out, take a big breath. Y'all can do better than that, come on. Who cares what the world may say? Who cares they can take it away? Who cares how Satan may try? I know for me Christ was crucified, but you trust in him. And you will find joy, take him at his word. And you will rejoice in the deep down wonderful joy. Just to know my Lord There's a deep down wonderful joy Just to know One more time There's a deep down wonderful joy Just to know my Lord Good. Y'all did a good job on that. Good job. sit down. We want to thank Suze. You may be seated. I'm going to have you stand back up in a minute, so I was reluctant to have you sit down. We want to thank Sue's son, Justin, for playing bass for us today. Trace is out of pocket. Give him a big round of applause, okay? Uh, I was just telling Josh's little girl back there, we were dancing in the back to that last song, and uh, I said, she said, my daddy sang one of your songs. I said, which one? She said, there's a joy. I said, well, there is a joy, you know, in serving the Lord. Gotta be. And... I told her a secret. I said, do you know where I was when I wrote that song? Her eyes, where? I said, sitting in the bathtub. (laughs) I said, for some reason that song came to me, sitting in the bathtub, years ago. But uh, anyway, she loved that. I said, and you're the only one that knows it, but now everybody knows it <laughs> so it'll ruin that song for you when you think about it <laughs> all right book of genesis you stand together one more time we don't like to open the word of god unless we appeal to the lord to help us as we As I try to teach and you try to listen, give us an understanding of God's Word. Father, I stretch my hand. 
Bibles to the book of Genesis, and uh, we're going to continue to look today at the forgetful cupbearer. Actually, we're in Genesis 41, but the passage that I'm using for these last couple of studies is verse 23 of chapter 40. Verse 23 of chapter 40, the chief butler did not Remember Joseph, but forgot him. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say, praise the Lord, and you may be seated. We want to welcome all of you who are tuning in today through the internet, through YouTube, Ustream, and sermon audio. Actually, it's sermon audio video for us because you can go on sermon audio and actually see the same thing on YouTube, Ustream. We appreciate you tuning in and hope that you'll pray for us. We've rearranged the beginning of our service a little bit this morning that we think will serve the needs of the people who watch a little better. I don't know originally if this song uh, was written by my friend Mark Webb or not. But Mark Webb is the first person that I heard sing it. and He may have written it. I know that it's taken from a passage in God's Word. And it goes like this. God never moves without purpose or plan. When trying his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In darkness he giveth a song. I could not see through the shadows ahead, so I looked at the cross of my Savior instead. I bowed to the will of the Master that day, then came peace and tears fled away. Now I can see testing comes from above. God strengthens his children and purges them in love. My father knows best and I trust in his care. Through purging, more fruit will I bear. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knows the end of each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. Now, if that doesn't fit Joseph, 
I've never read a better description of what he's going through. Think about a person like Joseph who was 101% dedicated to the God of his fathers. And yet, we don't know what happened to him before he was 17 years of age, but when the Scripture takes up his story for us in Genesis, we're told that he was 17 years old. And I remember when I was 17, and I didn't know how to go in and how to come out. I hardly know how now, but I certainly did, didn't when I was 17 years old. I have a grandson who just turned 16. So it's kind of a shock to me when I think of someone like Joseph. His brothers hated him. His brothers sold him. They were going to kill him, actually, because of one of his brothers intervening. It's the only reason he was not murdered sold to the Ishmaelites who got to Egypt and sold him again to Potiphar, whose wife lied about him because she was jilted. And uh, then he is thrown into prison. And two fellows there, a cupbearer and a chief baker. The cupbearer is called the butler, if you have a King James Version. And these two fellows both had dreams, and they had them on the same night. And because Joseph was a tender-hearted fellow, and because he was observant, he noticed that they were sad, uh, and they were both troubled by their dreams. For one thing, they didn't know what their dreams meant, or even if they had any significant meaning at all. For another thing, their future was uncertain, and they must have wondered if something or someone was trying to communicate with them. Since they both had dreams and both had them on the same night, you know, when you're in trouble, <laughs> you're suspicious of everything. When, when we're in trouble, we tend to wonder about everything and to worry about everything. What does this mean? What does that mean? Is God saying something to me? Or is the devil trying to frighten me? Well, fortunately for them, this young man, this young Hebrew who was in prison with them, not only a young man, but a special young man, a man who feared the God of his great-great-grandfather. His name was Joseph, and he was the son of Jacob, and Jacob was the son of Isaac, and Isaac was the son of Abraham the great patriarch with whom God made certain promises, to whom God made certain promises, and with whom he made a covenant. And so Joseph said to them, this is all in chapter 40, verses 6 and 7 and following, he said, why do you look so troubled today? They said, well, we had dreams. The dreams troubled us. We don't know what they mean. And of course, immediately, without any hesitation, he told them the meaning of the dreams. One was good, one was bad. But the chief baker, he said, you're going to be hanged. You're going to be executed. What a mercy that was from God to say to the baker, you got three days. Wonder what you would do if a message came to you today from God, said you got three days. Wednesday of this week, you'll be leaving planet Earth. 
Wednesday of this week, you'll be going out into eternity. What would you do? Would you suddenly begin to pray? Would you suddenly begin to try to right all the wrongs? Would you call everybody that you'd done something to or against and try to make amends? What would you do? Well, God's mercy gave this man three days. And then the other man, he said, you're going to be restored to your former position as cup bearer. And he was, and he only made one request of him. He said, when you are restored, and by the way, this butler or cupbearer and this baker were not only in charge of the food and the wines, but they were in charge of all the food supply and the wine supply. And many theologians believed that they were on the Pharaoh's council, gave him advice. And so Joseph said to this fellow, the cupbearer, the butler, he said, when you're restored, mention me to the Pharaoh. I'm in here unjustly that I might be delivered from this place. Now in the study last week, I suggested that the cupbearer is a Forgetful cupbearer. That's the title of these sub-studies. The forgetful cupbearer. He's, he's forgetful because he forgot Joseph and he deliberately forgot him. He willingly forgot him. And so in the first study, I suggested two reasons why we are like that cupbearer. We are often forgetful, not only to other people, but we are forgetful to the Lord who has blessed us with innumerable blessings since we've been in this world. And I gave you these two reasons. Why are we forgetful heroes? Because we are prone to forget our blessings. We are prone to forget our blessings. We might forget the blessings of others, but I ask myself, how in the world can I forget the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. How could I forget my Savior? But I do. What did the hymn writer say? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The butler forgot Joseph, and we forget our Savior. Joseph was his Savior, you know. And we forget our Savior because we're prone to forget our blessings once we're in the clear. I had a friend, I might have mentioned him last study, his name was George Kish. And we met George after we, shortly after we came to Tennessee. George was not a strong man. He was not a fellow that exercised or did any kind of thing. He sat behind a desk and pushed a pen. He was an insurance man. And he got up in the middle of the night often and made sandwiches that high, two or three o'clock in the morning, and, and he would eat them. Well, in time, he developed heart trouble. They put him in the hospital. And he had bypass surgery, and that was in the beginning of that type of surgery. 
They had to crack his sternum, this bone right here. They had to take a machine and open his ribs up. And where the ribs grow back here on your spine, some of those ribs cracked. And when I went up there to see George, he looked just like Frankenstein. He was blown up. He was ballooned up. It was a terrible ordeal, a terrible operation. And you know, after George got out of the hospital, brother, he towed the line as far as his eating. He got that weight off and he kept it off for two or three years. And then after two or three years, he forgot all about that pain and all that agony, and he began to make his sandwiches again. He began to gain weight again. And he forgot all about the blessings that the Lord had blessed him with, giving him more life after something that could have ended his life. And lo and behold, he got right in the same shape. And he was up at the hospital, and I remember going up to see George, and I talked to him. I had prayer with him, and I said, George, have you thought about what you'd like to happen at a funeral or memorial service or whatever, if anything happens to you? And he looked at me, and he said, well, I'm planning on getting out of here. I'm planning on getting out of here. But he didn't get out. He died in the hospital. He forgot how the Lord had spared him, and he went back to doing those old things, you know. And I thought about that passage in the book of 1 Peter, 2 Peter. The sow that was washed is returned to a wallowing in the mire, and the dog is returned to its vomit again. How prone we are to forget not only the blessings of salvation, that accompany salvation, but just everyday blessings that the Lord has blessed us with. We're like this forgetful cupbearer. We're prone to forget our blessings. Secondly, I've mentioned to you that we forget our blessings because we are often unthankful and ungrateful for them. One of the reasons that we forget our blessings is because we're unthankful and ungrateful to the giver of all blessings, our God and our Savior. James said, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. We are prone to forget. This generation that we're living in forgets. We forget others. We forget because we've forgotten God. And we looked into this in detail last week, and if you want it, you can order it. There's no charge for it. Just remember this. Unthankfulness betrays a spirit of ingratitude. So the question is, how can I escape this spirit of ingratitude and unthankfulness? And I began to tell you about that, and we'll take that up right here today, and I'll just briefly comment on it. The first thing is to imitate your Savior and your Lord. If you're saved, if you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, if He's your, uh, your, your Redeemer, then you need to learn His Word and seek to imitate Him. He said, love your enemies, do good and lend, and hoping for nothing in return. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Do you know why I am not in hell today? 
because the Lord loved me when I didn't love him. And he called me when I wasn't calling on him. And he was kind to me when I was unthankful. And he was merciful to me even when I was actively pursuing evil, when I was willingly and continuously walking after the flesh, self-willed, hell-bent to do my thing, determined to have my way. He was patient with me. He was long-suffering with me. That's why I'm able to be here today and teach you about the Lord. And that's why you're here. You're here for the same reasons. How about turning to Luke chapter 16 in your Bible? Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 16. This is an interesting parable. Obviously, I will not be able to empty it. In fact, it's never been emptied of its meaning, but I can just touch some of the tips of it. Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. I said Luke 16 is Luke 13. I'm sorry. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Luke chapter 13 and verse 6. He spake this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and he sought fruit on it, but he found none. And he said to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why does it clutter up the ground? And this man said to him, Lord, let it alone this year, and I'll dig about it, and I'll fertilize it. And then if it bears fruit, well, but if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Oh, if we only knew how close we've been to hell. If we only knew how close we came to dying in our sins, to slipping out of this world into a Christless eternity, to being cut down and taken out because we cared nothing for God's Son. We were only using His blessings for ourselves, but we were never thankful to Him. We were never grateful to Him. Oh, if we only knew, we would spend the rest of our days thanking the Lord. We would be forever grateful. We'd be like the little woman who said, I'm seeking the Lord, and if he saves me, I will never let him forget it. How oftentimes Mr. Death would have said, let me cut him down. He's doing nothing for you. He's just taking up space. But then the Savior would say, let him alone for a little while longer. Pour a little water on him. Add a few little blessings. Cross his path and give him a few little problems. And maybe he'll look up. Maybe he'll bear some fruit. The cupbearer was forgetful because he was unthankful and he was ungrateful. And my friend, did you realize what a blessing it is to be allowed to live these many years? when we've done very little for God, when we haven't been on our knees thanking the Lord for all of his blessings for us? Have we forgotten God because we're unthankful? 
and because we're ungrateful. Let's not be like the unthankful cupbearer. Let's don't forget all of our Lord's kindnesses, even those kindnesses that have come to us through others. By the way, any kindness that comes to you is from the Lord. He might use various and sundry things, people, places, but it's all from Him. Tell the Lord you're grateful. Tell the Lord you're thankful and seek to serve Him. Be merciful to others as He has been merciful to you. He said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. All right, now, why else might the cupbearer be unthankful and ungrateful? Think about this. Maybe he was never taught to be thankful. You know, we tend to be as we are raised to be. We tend to value the things we were taught to value, even in practical matters. I had a dad that was, uh, he, were, he was a farmer until 1953, and then he sold the farm. He raised cotton, corn, peanuts, sold the farm, went into the insurance business, became very successful in the insurance business. He was working all the time. He was a good provider a good provider. But he never took me fishing. He never took me hunting. I played a lot of baseball. In fact, I was a pretty good ball player. I taught my brother, who was nine years younger than I am, I taught him how to play ball, and he ended up playing Major League Baseball. My dad always said I was a better ball player than he was. But I fell in love with music. I got involved in music. And that became my lover. That became my mistress. That was the thing that I was chasing after. Well, back in those days, uh, I'm sure that I was not in any way uh, interested in hunting or fishing, and I wasn't interested in hunting or fishing because my dad never took me hunting and fishing. I had an uncle. He used to take me hunting sometime. We would go out and hunt squirrels with a 22 rifle. Have you ever tried to shoot a squirrel with a 22 rifle? You're going to have to be good. <laughs> and we would do that. We would go out. Uh, my uncle was, was my favorite uncle. I always wanted to spend the entire summer with him. Came close one time, but my mother just wouldn't consent to let me do that. But what I'm saying to you is uh, I've been fishing and I've been hunting a little bit, but I'm not really interested in it because I was never taught anything about it. You understand what I'm saying? We tend to be as we're raised to be. We tend to value the things we were taught to value. Now the Lord taught Israel about thankfulness by giving them thanksgiving offerings. He said, I'm going to give you a special offering. The purpose of this offering is for you to give thanks for my goodness and grace to you. And this is what the thanksgiving offerings were about. They were for mercies received... They were for recovering from sickness. How many times have you recovered from sickness? Let me tell you something. If you get a cold and you recover from it, that's the goodness of God to you. Been a lot of people started out with a cold, ended up with pneumonia, ended up dying. These Thanksgiving offerings were for mercies received. They were for recovering from sickness. They were for safety on a journey. 
They were for deliverance at sea. They were for redemption from captivity. And these thanksgiving offerings had to be offered freely, not out of compulsion or duty. And they were to offer thanksgiving offerings to fulfill promises that they had made to the Lord when they were in distress. Have you ever been in between a rock and a hard place and you said, Lord, if you get me out of here, I'll do this and I'll do that and do the other. I know all of you have heard of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was caught in a tremendous lightning thunderstorm and he promised God, if I get out of here, I'll be a priest. And that's how he became a priest. He was going to be a lawyer. He would have been a heck of a lawyer. But through this pledge to be a priest, when he got into the priesthood, he didn't know anything about grace. And so he tried to purge himself of his sins. He was sleep with very little clothing sometimes in the wintertime on a slab of stone trying to punish himself for his sins. He put gravel in his shoes and walk in those shoes, trying to purge himself, make himself sorry enough for his sins so that God would have mercy on him. And one day he saw one little verse in the book of Romans. One little verse. And it was about the gospel being through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he began to understand that it's not what I do, it's what he's done. It's not what I am, it's what he is. It's all about him. As I often tell you, the Bible is a hymn book, H-I-M. It's all about him. It leads to him. It glorifies him. It points to him. It brings us to him. And by the way, everything that happens in life before you're converted... The Lord is prodding you. He is punching you. He's crossing your path. He's making you understand that you are mortal, that maybe you will look to Him. All of it is done in grace and done in love because God wouldn't have any trouble cutting any of us off at any time, would He? So they were to offer these Thanksgiving offerings because they had promised God certain things when they were in distress. You remember Jonah? He said, I went down to the bellies of hell, and then I called upon the Lord. He said, I made all these deals with God. Read Jonah. Read the book of Jonah. Made these deals. I'll do this and do that and do the other. Then when he said, salvation is of the Lord. Translation, if I get out of here, God will have to get me out. And said immediately, the Lord spoke to that great fish, and it regurgitated spat Jonah up on the shore and he kept his promise and he went to Nineveh. I guess you heard the story about the little boy whose Sunday school teacher said when he said, you know, uh, teacher, I just read about the whale swallowing Jonah. And she said, well now, Sammy, she said, look, uh, you know, whales have very small throats and all of that, and I, 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 don't, I don't think really uh, that the whale actually swallowed Jonah. And he said, well, that's what the Bible says. And she said, yes, but, you know, I just I don't think that's really possible for that to happen. And so little Sammy said, well, 
Well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. I'm going to ask Jonah about it. And uh, she said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? So he said, well, you can ask him. (laughs) You'll be able to ask him. When I was up at Belmont University, I had a professor up there that used his own textbook, and he was always trying to explain away things of Scripture. And he said that the Red Sea was not the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. And he said that uh, the waters, when they were cut off, it was because upstream uh, a bank fell over and cut the waters down. They were able to cross, and uh, a little boy heard that. It was just, you know, only a foot of water. Uh, and he said, golly, it was a bigger, a bigger miracle than I even thought. She said, what do you mean? He said, well, the Bible says that God drowned all of Pharaoh's army, so he must have drowned him in a foot of water. Oh, the faith of children. Tell your children about Christ now while they're young and impressionable. Have we ever made deals with God when we were in a mess? Have you ever promised the Lord you'd do something that's changed for something that he did for you? Well, he doesn't make deals, but let's suppose that he heard your prayer and you got what you wanted. Did you forget it? Did you forget him? I've told you many times about the man who was on the airplane. The airplane ran in some turbulent weather and it was going up and dropping down 100 feet and going up and he was scared to death. And Oh, he cried out and said, Lord, if you get me out of here, I'll give you half of everything I own. And in a few minutes, the plane just smoothed out, and they landed. And a man that was sitting across the aisle from him, who was a Christian, said, My dear brother, I heard what you said when they were getting off the plane. I heard what you said in there. He said, You told the Lord you were going to give him half of everything you own. And the man said, No, I made a better deal. Made a better deal. Yeah, I said, I told him if he ever got me on another airplane, I'd give him all of it. Well, that's the way a lot of us are. Once we get out of between the rock and the hard place, then we forget all the blessings and the gratefulness of God. David was so obsessed with making sure that they thanked the Lord and were grateful to him that he appointed the Levites. You can read about it in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. He appointed the Levites to do one specific thing and one thing only. You know what it was? Give thanks. Do do you parents teach your children to be thankful? Do you teach them that every blessing that you have, everything from health to your home, to your happiness, to your healing, to your hope in Christ, that all of that is because of Him? Do you teach your children to be thankful? Did your parents teach you to be thankful? Sometimes I'd like you to turn to Psalm 107. 107. Sometimes, in fact, I would say oftentimes, when the Lord or when parents don't teach their children, the Lord steps in and He begins to teach them. He begins to teach us. How does He teach us about being thankful and grateful? 
Well, he brings trials. He brings trials on us and then he delivers us from those trials. And that should make us thankful. You have a whole psalm here, Psalm 107. Notice the theme of this psalm is verse 1, Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And all the way through the psalm, look at verse 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 15. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 21. The same thing. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Verse 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. So how does God bring things into our lives to make us look up, to make us thankful and grateful? Well, he brings trials upon us. David said he made Israel hungry and thirsty, verses 4 and 5. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. And then they cried to the Lord. When? In their trouble. They'd cried before them, but they're crying now. And he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. You see, it was his goodness that gave them a trial. It was his goodness that made them hungry. It was his goodness that brought distress upon them. It was all done in love. Then sometimes it brings them to the shadow of death. Verse 10. Such as sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. Why? Because they rebelled against the words of God. Verse 11. And they condemned, contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, verse 12, He brought them down. He brought down their heart and their labor, and they fell down, and there was nobody to help them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of this distresses. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death. He broke their bands asunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. He might bring them near to the gates of death. Verses 17. Verse 17 and 18. Fools, because of their transgression and because their iniquities are afflicted, their soul abhors all manner of meat. Then was they're, they're losing weight. They're sick. They're on their deathbed. They draw near to the gates of death. Then they cry to the Lord in their trouble. And he saves them out of their distresses. He sends his word and heals them. He delivered them from their destruction. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. How else can he deal with them? Hell, he can bring you into a storm. You know, when they ask some of the designers and architects and people that know about the Titanic and how it was built, one fool said, 
even God himself couldn't sink her. Go back and check me out. Even God himself couldn't sink her. That thing was built with air pockets in the side of it to keep it afloat. And so it just ran into a little iceberg. And when it went along the iceberg, the iceberg on the side ripped it all away from the front to the back. And that thing sunk. And God, I bet you there was a lot of people on that ship that were converted. You know what they sang when the ship was going down? The band was playing, my God, nearer to thee, O Lord, nearer to thee. So here it says he brings them a storm in the ocean. Verse 23. Verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships, those that do business in great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Watch this now. He commands and raises the storm. Who raised the storm? He did. He raised the storm. I remember reading one time, you remember what that little, little passage in the gospel about Peter walking on the water? I remember reading, and the Lord said, y'all go ahead, I'm going up in the mountain to pray. And he went up in the mountain, you know what he prayed? He prayed up a storm. He prayed up a storm. And they were out in the middle of that storm, and they were saying, we're going, they started throwing things over, and they started trying to get, get things out of the, of the ship. And then they looked up, and they saw Christ coming to them on the water, walking on the water. They said, save us, Lord, or we perish. Why did they say that? Because he put them in trouble. He prayed up a storm. Right here, it says, he commanded, he commanded, verse 25, and raises up the storm. He's the one who lifts up the waves. They mount up to heavens. They go down to the depths. Have you ever been on a boat when the ocean, the water is doing like that? If you're a person that gets seasick, you're going to get seasick. I tell you, one time I had to go from a cruise ship to land, and they put us on these little things inside. There was no air, air conditioning, and that thing was bobbing like that, and I came that close to regurgitating. For you boys and girls, that means vomiting. They're going up and down. The Lord sent the wind. The Lord raises up the waves. And their soul is melted in them because of trouble. Verse 26. Verse 27. They reel to and fro. They stagger like a drunken man. They are at their wit's end. And you look at some of your translations, it will say they are at the end of their reason. They are at the end of what they can figure out. They are at the end of their wisdom. They don't know what to do. They've tried everything. They've thought of everything. They've said of everything. And they say they're thinking they're going down. And what do they do? Verse 28. Then they cry to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses. The same God that raised the storm. Verse 29. Makes the storm a calm. And the waves are still. 
And then they're glad because everything's quiet and he brings them into their desired haven. They were able to accomplish the mission and arrive safely where they were headed. Wonder if they forgot God once they got there. He can curse the land, verses 33 and 34. He turns rivers into a wilderness where there were water springs. He turns it into dry ground. You mean God's got something to do with the weather? You better believe it. A fruitful land he turns into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turns the wilderness, verse 35, into standing water and dry ground into water springs. Verse 36, and there he makes the hungry to dwell that they may prepare a city for habitation and sow seeds. My friends, I got a call this week from a dear sister out in California. And she said, Brother Sasser, I'm asking for you and for the congregation to pray for us. I said, what's going on? She lives in California. She said, those fires are headed our way. They're just a few miles from where I live. And I said, I certainly will, and I will send out a message to the deacons and the elders, and I hope the deacons and the elders will send it out to anybody and everybody they know. That's what we're supposed to be doing, deacons and elders. You pray, but you send it out to others and ask them to pray too. And then she said this. I said, well, I'm so sorry. She said, personally, Brother Sasser, I think it's the judgment of God. I said, I do too. I do too. All of these variations in weather, all of this mess that's happening in this nation, all of this bloodshed, all of this spitting in the face of God, all of this saying we'll do our own thing and we'll do what we want to with our bodies and we'll, we'll stand for what we want to. And God says in heaven, okay. And I'll just let your wickedness bring on you whatever it brings without my intervention. Oh, yes, I think the Lord is talking to the United States. I sure do. The queen, 96 years old, reminds us, I don't think anybody in England's thinking this way, all they're thinking about is, well, she was the longest reigning royal in the history of England, 70 years. But all they're thinking about is that, but how about this? No matter who you are, where you are, what your position is in this world, you're going to be leaving. I bet nobody's thinking about that. Nobody's thinking about that. They ought to be. The Lord may be speaking to England and to the world through the death of the queen. He may be saying, your mortal men, seek my face now while I can be found. Call upon me while I am near. While you're in this age of grace, and don't forget all of the blessings that I've blessed you with. So here, he curses the land, verses 33 and 34. And then he allows oppression, verses 39 and 40. 
They are diminished or diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, sorrow. He pours contempt upon princes. He causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. What does the psalm end with? Notice verse 43. Whoever is wise and will observe these things, they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. My dear friends, all of the troubles you've had in your life before you were converted were to get your attention. All the troubles you've had in your life since you were converted were to make you more like Christ and to teach you to trust Him when in the midst of trouble. You see, we trust Him, we believe Him, we lean upon Him, though we have not seen Him with our eyes. Jesus said to Thomas, whom we call Doubting Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Now you see, when Jesus comes again, when he gets up off of his throne and he's coming with the holy angels to judge the earth, the scripture says in the book of Revelation that the world is going to start wailing and millions are going to say, we believe, we believe, we believe. But he's going to say it's too late because your motto has been seeing we believe. Our motto is having not seen we believe. We trust him though we have not seen him. It'll be too late then for millions of souls because it's not seeing is believing. You see, that's what they said when Christ is on the cross. You're the Christ, come down off the cross, and we will believe. We'll see it, and then we'll believe you. The scripture says that the righteous are justified with God through faith. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. David said, those who are in the grave don't give thanks. And there's only one thing, and you'll have to pardon my crude language, but there's only one thing the Lord can do with an ungrateful, unthankful, mad dog. And that's put him in hell. Ralph Barnard told a story of a boy that had a little puppy, loved that dog, Spent all of his time with the dog. One day he came home from school. The dog was out in his little pen, and he looked up at him. And when the little boy called out to the dog, the dog growled at him, and saliva was running out of his mouth. And he ran inside. Daddy, Daddy, something's wrong with Stumpy. Something's wrong with Stumpy. And his dad said, don't go in that pen. Let me go out there and look at him. And he came inside. He came back outside. The dad came out and looked at him. He said, son, Stumpy's mad. He said, he's gone mad. He's got rabies. The little boy didn't know what it is. So he used language he could understand. He's gone mad. He's mad at us now. He's mad at us. And there's only one thing you can do with a mad dog, and that's to kill him. 
I'll get you another puppy. We can't fix Stumpy. Oh, people don't want anything to do with the Lord. They don't want to hear from God. They don't want to hear God's word. They don't want to hear about Christ. They don't want to hear about the Savior. They're going to do their own thing, go their own way, and do what they want to do. But there's coming a day when he's going to come. And then there's going to be consternation. Then there's going to be confusing. Then there's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then they're going to say, rocks and hills hide us from the face of him that sits upon the throne. Then they'll say, we believe, but it'll be too late. They'll pray then, but it'll be too late. Well, I have to close today. Is there another reason why some are not thankful? Perhaps, as we've just seen, they've never had a crisis They've never had a crisis. Folks that have smooth sailing all the way through the life, never have a crisis, they're not likely to call on God and look to him unless he does a special number on them. Matthew Henry, the great and remarkable scholar who died in 1714 at the age of 52, was told by a friend of his, he said, Matthew, I went down a certain road only to be robbed. But I'm thankful that although I lost my money, I did not lose my life. And Mr. Henry said, well, I have something to be thankful for too, even in that. He said, I'm thankful that the Lord has never allowed me to go down that road at all. It's one thing to get in trouble and be delivered from it. It's another thing not to have any trouble. Do we realize that the salvation of the gospel involves being delivered out of crisis? I'm going to try to hurry here because I'm going to let you go. And I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, if you will. The Gospel of John, I believe, is chapter 16. Gospel of John, chapter 16. Do we realize that the salvation of the gospel involves being delivered out of a crisis. You can't be saved if you're not delivered out of a crisis. I realize that whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But let me ask you something. Why should we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved when we aren't lost. You see, what you got today is you got churches that say, all you got to do is give a little mental assent to Jesus. Just give a little mental assent. Just say, you know, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You're saved. I want to know, I want to know, have we ever had the crisis of conviction of sin? Why should we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved when we aren't lost? I believe most people just call on the name of the Lord because they're told that's what they do. And I think they're being told that because they, they're afraid of hell and they want to go there. So they've been, to, they've been told that Jesus is kind of a doormat to deliver them from hell. You know, when the Lord wanted to bless a Philippian jailer, 
He sent an earthquake. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. He sent an earthquake that shook the foundations of the prison, blew open all the prison doors, and that, that Philippian jailer cried out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. When the Lord wanted to get David's attention, he sent Nathan the prophet to his house to tell him that his sin with Bathsheba had been discovered, that his murder of Bathsheba's husband had been discovered. You know what David's reaction was? I have sinned against the Lord. David was in a crisis, but immediately Nathan said, and the Lord has put away your sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah the prophet, when the Lord wanted to teach him, struck down King Uzziah with leprosy for usurping the place of the priest. Then Isaiah was put in a crisis. You know what Isaiah said? Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But then immediately when he said that, I'm undone, then one of the seraphims came with a live coal in his hand and he'd taken from the tongs from off the altar and he laid it upon my mouth and he said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. Yes, all you got to do is look to the Lord. The Lord Jesus told his disciples that he had to go away from them in order to send the Holy Spirit. The word that he used for the Spirit was the word translated comforter as parakletos, parakletos, the comforter. But here's what I want to know. How can you comfort a person that doesn't need comforting? Try offering water to somebody that's not thirsty. Try offering a blanket to someone who is not cold. Try giving $100 or $1,000 to a multimillionaire. He won't thank you and he won't be grateful. Try finding a sheep that's not lost. John chapter 16, very quickly. John chapter 16, verse 7. He said to his disciples, it's expedient that I go away. If I don't go away, the parakletos, the helper, the comforter, will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him unto you. When he's come, what's he going to do? He's going to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now, there are a lot of things we can say about these verses. But let me just say this for the sake of this message and to close it out. The comforter must disturb us before he can comfort us. He must strip us before he can clothe us. He must show us that we're bankrupt before we can be thankful for the riches of heaven. My friends, we're unthankful because we don't know we're poor. We don't know we're blind. We don't know we're naked. We don't know we're wretched. We don't know we're miserable. The Lord said in the book of Revelation to the church of Laodicea, you say of yourself, I'm rich and increased with goods and I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Revelation 3.17. Brother, that's the church of this age. 
We got millions and millions of dollars to build these buildings, to get on television, to go around the world, to sell books, to do all of these things. We're rich and increased with goods, and we have need of nothing. And we don't know that we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Well, here in this verse, John chapter 16, I've said this many times, but he says here, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let me give you to it this way. He, he convinces you that you're a sinner. Now listen to me. There's only one sin that I know of that God can't pardon or won't pardon. One sin. What it is? It's the sin of unbelief. If you die in unbelief, you're done for. If you die in unbelief, you're done for. Anything you've ever done, you confess it to the Lord, specifically. I've been a liar. I've been a cheater. I've been an adulterer. I've been this. Whatever you have, you admit, and the Lord will forgive you. But if you will not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you die in that standing, you will not be forgiven in this world or the world to come. The comforter has to disturb us before he can comfort us. He has to strip us before he can clothe us. He has to show us we're bankrupt before we want the riches of heaven. If we don't know that we're sinners, he says it's sin. Then he says righteousness, verse 10. We don't have any righteousness. We have only self-righteousness. And self-righteousness will not make us acceptable, make us acceptable to the Father in heaven. And then judgment, verse 11, we're under judgment. He said the prince of this world is judged. That's the devil. The prince of this world was judged when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross. He judged it, the prince of this world. But then the Holy Spirit comes back and he shows us, verse 9, that we have a sin bearer in Christ. He shows us in verse 10 that our righteousness is no good, but his righteousness is. And then in verse 11, judgment is taken away in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. All right. One more passage. John's Gospel, chapter 9. John's Gospel, chapter 9. Are we like that forgetful cupbearer? Now listen, tell me if you don't think I'm right. It's very difficult to convince a seeing man that he's blind. It's very difficult to convince a contented person that he or she is wretched and miserable. It is very difficult, it is impossible in fact, to convince a man that has plenty of clothes that he's naked. Very, very difficult. Impossible for us to do it. Only God can do it. And here it is in John chapter 9. I've read this many times. Let's read it again. This whole chapter is about Jesus healing a man that was blind. And we go to the end of the chapter. And Jesus revealed himself to that blind man. Verse 35, they, those Pharisees cast the blind man out of the synagogue, and to them that was casting him out of the kingdom of heaven. 
And Jesus heard that it had cast him out, verse 35, and when he had found him, he said, Do you believe on the Son of God? And he answered, Lord, who is he that I might believe? Because when Jesus touched his eyes and told him to go wash, he was blind. He never saw the face of Christ. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he that talks with you. And he, the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Now watch this now. For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. Jesus said, I came to make people blind. Because if you understand that you're blind, you'll call out to him and he'll give you real sight. Watch it now. And some of the Pharisees, verse 40, said, Are you trying to say we're blind? Jesus said, If you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. What does that mean? It means what I just said. If you see that you're blind, you'd call out to me, and I'd heal your spiritual blindness, and then you would be able to see. And then you'd be thankful, then you'd be grateful. And then you'd serve me and you'd confess me as your Lord and as your Savior. But since you say we can see fine, thank you. He said your sin remains. May the Lord add his blessings on the teaching of his word. God never moves without purpose or plan. You can stand together. When trying his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In the darkness, he giveth a song. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knows the end of each path that I take. For when I'm tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. May the Lord deliver us from being forgetful cupbearers. Make us a people who is always praising the Lord and thanking Him and realizing that all the mercies we've experienced and shall experience are from His hand. And even the troubles that we had, after we're converted, the troubles that come then and you endure it, they turn into blessings. Before you're converted, the troubles He sends are to cause you to look to Him and cry to Him. Bob, I remember you telling me about when you were in that jail in Chicago, Bob Castle. He said he cried to the Lord. Bob got in some serious trouble in Chicago. He was just a young person. You know, when you're young, you know everything. He got shot. Everything. But he said, then he cried to the Lord. And the Lord heard it. And he's been serving the Lord ever since. That's probably the testimony of many of you here today. And many of you who may be watching by the internet. I tell you this. The times they are changing. As Bob Dylan said. Look to the Lord. He's the only safe abiding place. Let's sing. Under the blood of Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be safe.
under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold, under the blood of Jesus, safe while the Under the blood of Jesus, I am secure in Him. I'm going to dismiss you uh, with what's called a benediction. <laughs> and uh, Betty, there's something on the Lord's table there for you. You just get that after the service. Um, I'd like to see the elders and the deacons that are present. Brother Horton is out of town, uh, but those who are present, after we say hi and goodbye to everybody, I'd like to meet with you just a second in my little office out here in my study, okay? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we call upon you in the name of the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God the fulfiller of all the promises that you've made. Lord, we look to him. He is our salvation. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He's the one who sets us free, delivers us from sin and judgment, hell and condemnation. We cannot thank you enough for what you've done for us. We praise you. We give you glory for thou alone art worthy. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I pray now that you'll bless every soul that is here, that those who know you may be strengthened, and those who do not may come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be not ashamed of him to confess him in this wicked world. And now may the blessings of the Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit abide upon you, and make you perfect in every good work, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ the Lord, I pray, and for his sake I ask it. Amen.